Well, we're at a crossroads for you. You're going to be uh, facing these next days ahead, and regardless of which situations you're going to be in, you're not going to be under the um, just the uh, organization that helps you uh, function as you ought to, and, and now you're going to be making decisions uh, more and more on your own over the summer, uh, and many of you will be in situations where you're still under authority, but there is, as you well know, there is that definite pressure that comes. And let me say it in a greater way, and I do not believe I'm sensationalizing it at all. We're in a key moment in our world, we're in a key moment in our country, we're in a key moment in uh, Bible Christianity in America. And though, you know, we look at our, like our college here, or just ourselves, and we certainly realize our insignificance, but because of what you believe and your desire to walk by faith, it's a big deal to the evil one. He does not want you to walk by faith. He does not want you to walk in victory. And though we need to see ourselves humbly as insignificant humanly, we need to realize that the cause that God has called us to is a big deal. And so, though we don't really, uh, we're not really worthy of having a major attack from Satan, the cause that you stand for and where God is heading you does. And if you go into the summer thinking that, well, I'm just going to be, you know, between this year and this year, I'm going to make money or I'm going to have my internship and I'm looking forward, and you should, all of those things, be with your families and all of that. But if you just see yourself in light of your narrow little perspective, you are walking into a trap, a big, big trap. Um, God has great plans. Satan knows it. And he's not going to use a little pea shooter on you, young people. He's going to use a bazooka. Uh, he's going to want to level you if he can. And so I, what I'm going to talk about here in a minute, we'll go with this, but let me just make some preliminary um, uh, statements here. Whatever your weaknesses have been, when you're at home or away from the structure of the college here, you need to address that even before you leave and have good openness and accountability for those areas. Uh, you may think, I am now strong. Uh, what does the Bible say when you think that? Oh boy, uh, you are in trouble. Now you are in a much better place to have victory. Think about it, freshman. From when you started to now, do you have confidence that God can give you victory? I trust that you do. I think you probably are looking forward to the future with uh, a real sense of excitement because you've learned things and it's, it's great. But if you think you're strong, ay, 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 uh, you're no match for Satan. And so that's why do not take anything for granted. Be willing to be humble. Your technology is pretty shut down here. Keep it shut down. Stay open with your parents. And by the way, parents don't get it a lot of times. They don't realize. Uh, some very much do, are very savvy. Others don't. But don't get addicted back to technology this summer. I really want to encourage you to be careful of that. And I'm not talking about just bad viewing. But listen, you don't need to be going to YouTube hardly at all. You don't need to be watching every sports thing in the world. That will lead then to going to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. 
Be very careful of social media aspects. We do ask you as students, please uh, be very much above board on that. And you, all you have to do is read the headlines and realize what social media is and what it's done to our culture. And so it's not just us fundamentalists that are talking about it, it's conservatives all over the country are talking about how dangerous social media is and what they're doing and how they use it and you've got uh, those that control it are trying to change America. You don't need to be part of that. So there's just a lot of things that I would encourage you in these days here, talk to your parents about, uh, do what it takes, but you need to walk into the summer with confidence that God's going to uh, really work in your life, but you need to walk into the summer also realizing I am as weak as water without the Lord. And I've got to have people praying for me. I need accountability. I need to be open with my parents. And I, can, I must make no provision for the flesh whatsoever this summer. I cannot tell you that long enough. The person here that thinks I can manage it will be the one that will be talking to the deans on, in, in September. Right? Some of you have been there. You know what I'm talking about. I think I'm there. I don't think I need the controls. No, brother. Uh, I'm at my age and my time in the ministry. I still have all kinds of protections because the power of the prince of the power of the air is very strong. And your lives are important. And uh, if anything were to happen in my life, it would be very destructive. And so I don't have any confidence in the flesh. And uh, don't ever have confidence. Now, you can have confidence in what God can do, but don't put yourself in a place that you can fall. Everybody getting this? Okay. I really want you to think about it. It may not be that type of thing. It may, may be just going back to laziness. Okay. Uh, getting up super late. Uh, just stay on a schedule. And have your devotions right off the bat. Have that hour with God. Get into, and I tell you, it's going to be a lot harder. Even with all the pressures you've had, it's going to be harder when you get home, if you're going home. And then if you have to get up uh, early to go to uh, work, you're going to be uh, uh, tempted to think, well, I don't have time for it. And then you're walking into trouble. So these are things you've got to think through. When am I going to have devotions? My parents, and maybe you're in a home in which there is more... There's more entertainment being watched kindly without being at all pious or whatever. Ask your parents if you can be excused from um, having to be, you know, watching things that, that you would not want to watch. Don't use your parents as an excuse yourself for that kind of thing. There's just lots of issues that come about, but uh, we've seen it more and more in a good way that the student body comes back, many of them stronger than they left. Man, we can move forward when that happens. And all of you that uh, are not graduating, you come back having had a victorious summer. Wouldn't you love to just take off in September and see God do a mighty work? I still believe that we can see things happen by faith uh, and see breakthroughs in our community and all by the, uh, with the college and see things happen that we've not seen. And I would love to go to that level. I'm so thankful for what God has done. Don't get me wrong, but I, I don't believe we even scratched the surface of what student body could do and what you could do to build your faith. So let's have that as our goal. Let's ask God to just grow us and nurture us. And uh, I'm telling you, if you have confidence over the summer that uh, because of the 
provisions God has led you to make and your openness, and then you've trusted the Lord for the Spirit of God to give you victory, you come back with that confidence, you're going to be a different man or woman, and uh, you'll be able to help others. And I do want you to, you've got to realize whatever spiritual state you are in is what marks the, the new freshman class. If you come back defeated and weak, oh boy. If you come back on fire, man, I'm telling you that wakes up. You remember when you were a freshman, it makes a difference. Young people that really mean business. So uh, I do encourage you. And those of you graduating, uh, many of you, of course, will see again in the fall, but many we won't. You'll be going into different areas. Uh, everything I'm saying, you just need to do the same thing. Uh, do not uh, at all uh, think, well, I'm, I've arrived. <laughs> I tell you what, the more <clears throat> you learn, the less you know in some ways, because you realize the more I need to know. So I just wanted to encourage you on that. Now, right along with this is I want us to to look at one of the great traps, because we are naturally selfish, one of the great traps of, uh, of just typical America. It's, in some ways, I think you all are more sober than previous generations because of what we see as uh, economic dark clouds on the horizon. But still, there is uh, an, an epidemic of emotional problems and apathy in the church today in America for two major reasons. One is not what I'm going to speak on, and that is because of viewing and technology. That has changed the equation. But number two is just simply the affluence of our day. Even with some of the downturns, you, you know, and the fact I know that many of you haven't had much money this year, you still, none of you look like you're suffering. You've eaten okay. I think you're doing fine. And uh, you expect that you're going to have a car and a house and all these things. And uh, we just don't think like other cultures think. And there's quite a warning in Scripture. And uh, remember, as one writer said, two thin dimes placed over your eyes can shut out the beautiful vistas of nature. That was just a secular saying. But when we have temporal vision, we miss the supernatural vistas of what God has and who He is. And so it'd be very easy for you to get into the summer, think about money you're going to make, things that you want, finally get to do this, you're thinking of having a good time, you know, we like to have get-togethers. All of that's great. I go to the get-togethers and I enjoy them. But when you, that's your life, you are now in a dangerous position. You've got to have that spiritual uh, perception. It's very interesting, Erwin Lutzer, um, uh, who for many years was pastor of Moody Church that we visited, the last time we went there, he, anybody here was there when he uh, spoke to us? What a character he was. That was uh, amazing. I'm sorry you didn't get to hear that. Of course, <laughs> he said some things anyway, but um, made, which made you realize this is not a fundamental church. You know, you, you caught that after a while, but, uh, but he, was, he really is right on on many things. He said, it's almost impossible to develop true worshipers in affluent surroundings. And that's what you're going to be facing in ministry. That's what I've had to face all of these years. I have lived through the most affluent time in the history of the world. These have been the highest days of any economic time in the history of the world. Think about that. And I'm telling you, it has been a challenge for me personally and for 
the churches I've worked with uh, to really have victory. How we handle our money is the truest indicator of the spiritual condition of our heart. Show me what you spend your money on and I'll show you who you are in many ways. In fact, it really gets down to this. It was said at the junior senior last night so well by Pastor Zimple, um, but it is so true. What you really want is who you are. What is the most important? Not what you say you want, but what do you really want? The Bible contains 500 references to prayer, 500 references to faith, but get this, there are 2,000 references to the issue of money and possessions. Money and possessions are uh, prayer killers and subsequently faith killers. And out of the 38 parables that Jesus told in the Gospels, 16 deal with how to handle our money. It's pretty amazing. Jesus said more about money and possessions than about heaven and hell combined. I'll let that register with you. One out of every 10 verses in the Gospels deals with money or possessions. 288 verses in the four Gospels. I don't think we probably deal with this like we should. Now, why is money so important? Money is important for a number of reasons, but the real basic one is your life and your time and your work is quantified by money. And so therefore, what you make comes out of your hard work. It comes out of your training. It comes out of your ingenuity. It is marking who you are, humanly speaking. That's why to the world, it's such a big deal to have money equals status. It equals satisfaction. It equals their life. And um, the one thing that really helps me, this is not directly on this, but when you think about money and you've worked hard for it, um, Remember, every time you go eat a hamburger, you don't need to eat. You just ate part of your life. Okay. I know that's a rather gross thing to say. But, I mean, uh, or you just have one Starbucks. You know, that was half an hour of work. What are you thinking? You know, when you think about it, how cheap is your life? You know, the dumb stuff we spend our money on. Every penny that you earned is you. Right? It's a big deal. And, uh, and so when we waste our money, we indulge with our money, we're not giving with our money, we're not frugal with our money, well, it means we really don't have a very good perspective on who we are and the value of our life. Turn with me to a very familiar passage along this line, 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. These are quite powerful verses. Now, the Apostle Paul is giving instructions to Timothy as he is leading the church there in uh, Ephesus. And Timothy clearly, as you look through this epistle, was having a little bit of troubles leading this very powerful, significant church. The Apostle Paul, of course, had started it. He had spent much time there, which was very rare for the Apostle Paul. Out of this church came many 
other churches, such as uh, Colossians, Colossae. Uh, that was not started by Paul. That was started most likely by Epaphras who came out of having been saved under the ministry, we're guessing, of the Apostle Paul at Ephesus. Uh, it was, it's the first church mentioned in Revelation chapter 2 uh, representing the churches. It was a powerful church in that sense. It was also set in one of the very affluent areas of the Roman Empire. And I've had the privilege of being there. That's an amazing set of ruins if you ever get a chance to see them because right after the first century was over, the um, uh, port got silted in and so they had to, to move the city. So your ancient ruins go directly back. You don't have another layer of ruins on top of the biblical ruins. And uh, it's pretty awe-inspiring, uh, the temple, the Artemis, and all the other things that are there. Uh, it's, a, it's a pretty neat thing. But clearly, uh, uh, the matter of affluence was an issue. And so here, the Apostle Paul, under inspiration, is dealing directly with Timothy to be a leader in this area. So let's look at uh, verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now, if you will look at this, this is not a benign passage. Uh, snare, hurtful lust, drowning in destruction and perdition, the root of all evil, erred or leaving the faith, being pierced through with many sorrows. That's pretty strong language. So this is not some nice little idea. Let's be a little careful and make sure you manage your money right and let's get this thing right. No, the Apostle Paul is making it very clear that much of the problems of that church and much of the things that lead even to unbelief and other issues and wrong teaching comes from a wrong perspective on temporal matters upon, about the matter of money. So let's start with the positive, which it starts with here. Contentment brings great gain. And uh, uh, we, we read there in verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. That word godliness is a very familiar term in the pastoral epistles, and it means piety, reverence, or likeness to God. And uh, it uh, really causes us to realize... Uh, as it is spoken in this context, that that which pertains to knowing God, having a heart for God, living for God, is great gain. And I'm, I'm just absolutely convinced you cannot have contentment without godliness. So the opposite here, then in this passage, is going to be godliness versus materialism. Contentment versus sorrow. Pretty stark contrasts. 
And so to be content means to be satisfied, sufficient, to seek nothing more than what one has. And uh, contentment is one of the greatest joys. We talk about the rest of a victorious believer. That sense where you're just very, very happy with what God is doing. Even through a trial, you count it all joy. You're thankful when God brings whatever into your life. Now, when you're abased or when you abound, as Philippians chapter 4 talks about, it is that wonderful <clears throat> spirit-empowered peace that comes that you are uh, in a relationship with God that's meeting the need of your life. You are accomplishing His will and you don't need anything else. You're thankful for anything else, but you don't need anything else. So here, and I want you to get this. If you want something else, you won't have contentment. If you want something else other than that relationship with God and accomplishing His will, you are not going to be satisfied. If you need acceptance, if you need excitement, if you need success, if you, uh, if you want status with the possessions, if there are things that you're really excited about. You'll notice in life, by the way, you can't help when you may be going to buy your first house or uh, buy your first car that actually you don't mind people seeing, you know. <laughs> Uh, I wish I had I wish I had taken pictures of my college cars. I mean, uh, they were they were really bad, but at the time I didn't care. They got me cross campus, uh, and I had to drive to get cross campus, and in um, um, the role that I was in as a supervisor. But I I had a little duster. Anybody ever heard of a duster? All right, thank you, Brother Himes. Oh, the yes, Ankos know about dusters. Okay. That's what Canada still uses. <laughs> but you know what a pathetic car. I mean, that was a tin can on wheels, you know. It was really pathetic. It smelled. It was awful. And uh, then I had a Delta, um, a uh, Oldsmobile Delta 88, a big tank, you know, and it didn't have an ex its muffler was out. So, I mean, I sounded like a hot rod, you know. It was about three miles to a gallon. It was just great. It was, it was awful. And uh, now that I look back, and I remember my dad said uh, when, uh, when I was getting ready to come and be his assistant, he said, I really don't think you should be an assistant with that car at Market Manor Baptist Church. Uh, uh, Market Manor was in a rather nice area, so he said, I'm going to help you buy a, so, a new car. So I got a new Buick Century. I thought, man, that was great. Now, the problem was, though, when I got that new Buick Century, I was sort of possessed by thinking about getting it and taking care of it because I had never had a car that was worth anything. You know, I mean, it was, uh, it actually had decent gas mileage for that day. And I remember thinking, this isn't helping me spiritually. I remember just having that fight. And so the Lord took care of me. I went to speak somewhere and I had an accident. Got a big on the side and I said, well, phew, now I don't care about the car anymore. You know, it's amazing. Uh, didn't have the money to get it fixed and it was my fault, I think. I was just I slid or, and hit something and I thought, well, and by, by the way, that's one of the best things that happens with something new. Get that first scratch, that'll get, get you over it being so uh, important. Uh, with possessions, they possess you most of the time. But my, my point here is, what do you really want? What is your focus? Your focus may be really good right now. 
God has stirred you. You've been involved in some things, and you've seen God work, and you've been convinced. But I can tell you, about two weeks home, you can go back to some of those wants that you used to have. How many of you upperclassmen would say, yeah, I've been there. Went home summer, thought for sure I'd be exactly right on track, but I saw some regression in my thinking. Any of you have any of that? Okay, I know I did. Okay, look at that. And uh, so, freshmen, this is for you. Keep that in mind. I am now a sophomore at BCM. Of course, got a few more ROKs, but got a, I'm, all, I'm a, almost a sophomore at BCM. I know all that there is to know, and I can handle whatever pressures when I get home. Oh, yeah. It doesn't, I mean, really, one night in your bedroom, and you are now that little kid again, remember back at home and all the pressures and you now have reverted back to your youth group and everything else. It's amazing how your mind will work that way. So we got to understand that godliness should be what contents us, not anything else. So my first real admonition to you here uh, this morning is don't go home with any other wants that are not of the Lord's will. In other words, make sure you really have settled it with the Lord. Have some times with the Lord say, Lord, I really want you more than anything else. My search, my desire, my cravings, my passion this summer is going to be you. And I've got to keep that. Keep me from going any other direction because I know my heart is so easily pulled away and I don't want to go that way. And do you believe God will help you? Second uh, Corinthians 9, 8, and God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Folks, that's not minimal. Did you catch that? I love that. He makes how much grace? All of his power. Uh, abound, that's overflowing, that ye having all sufficiency in everything may abound there and again to every good work. Those are superlatives. The Christian life can be a consistent life of great victory. And he can help you keep your wanter in line. And so we have to, uh, have to really be honest with ourselves um, or we'll get into wanting this and wanting that. You've heard the statement of the oil tycoon Paul Getty when interviewed in London, he said, if you were retired now, would you say your holdings would be worth a billion dollars? Getty paced up and down in the room and mentally adding up. He said, I suppose so, but remember, a billion doesn't go as far as it used to. <laughs> and that is exactly how those guys are. They're not happy. They're not happy. The most successful men in the, uh, in the world, that's why they get off on all these really weird tangents and get into causes, this one world stuff, and all these different things that they get involved in is just uh, because they're not satisfied. They want something more than what um, their wealth has been given to them. So we need to be motivated by the love of God. And then um, we need to realize that we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. I will again be sobered tomorrow morning while you all are having your uh, fellowship get-togethers right here in this room. We'll be having a funeral of a man that's been in this church the entire time I've pastored here, Bob Parks. How many of you knew Bob? Okay, many of you knew him. And uh, 
And Bob Parks was a very generous man. How many of you did he take out to eat? Any of you in here? He was taking all kind of people out to eat, yeah. And uh, he was just a, a sweet brother. And uh, I remember he was uh, about to buy uh, a Cadillac. He had always wanted all of his life, you know. He had been a, just a hardworking factory worker, and he had money and investments, and he was going to buy a Cadillac. And uh, I don't remember exactly how it worked, but he pulled up with uh, sort of your normal average car. What happened to the Cadillac? He said, I realize that was a waste of money. He said, I'm bringing the difference between the Cadillac and this car as an offering to my church. I thought, man, that is just, that was so sweet. You know, I mean, he just said, God convicted him. What am I doing? It'll get me where I need to go. I don't need that. He got it out of his heart. And, um, and he loves souls. But when I look into the casket, thankfully, they'll have an open casket, which I always appreciate. It's always good to come to grips with things. I'll see what's remaining of his body there, which has been racked by pain for some months now. But he's not taking anything with him. He went with just his spirit. He's in the presence of the Lord now. We've got to keep that in mind, folks. I know you've heard that so often, but it's so true. Your toys, they mean nothing. We have to, your generation, I don't blame them, but it is so toy conscious. The latest gadgets. I really encourage you, don't blow your next, next year's tuition <coughs> on the latest iPhone or, or the latest iPad. Do you think God can give you what you need for a much cheaper price? Do you think he can help you put all of that together if you really have a need? Wait on God and put him first. Don't allow yourself. I've had, I've had young people that should have been here their sophomore year and did not come back because they bought a truck. They bought a car. They did things like that. And then they, they tanked after that. And then they had to sell the pickup anyway to make, to make enough to, to get out of financial trouble. All those kinds of things are very, very sad. And uh, so... We don't want to lay up treasures as we know. So here's the right kind of attitude to have. Believers must consciously re realize that the Lord owns everything they have. They are mere stewards of their possessions. Purchases should be evaluated, now get this, as to how they would advance the kingdom or make one's ministry more effective. Now I'm going to read that again. If we can make purchases... On the basis of these principles, it will change everything. Believers must consciously realize that the Lord owns everything they have. They are mere stewards of their possessions. You don't really own it. God owns it. He gave you the ability to get it, and so you're managing it for Him. Purchases should be evaluated as to how they would advance the kingdom or make one's ministry more effective. Second, believers must cultivate a thankful heart. Since God owes them nothing, anything they receive from him should make them thankful. Well, I have sort of an old rattletrap because, like I had, because I got to pay my bill. Be thankful for it. And be thankful that you can train for God's work and that your life isn't all messed up at this point. Learn to be thankful for what you have. You know, oh, I wish my parents had a better house. Be thankful for whatever your parents have. If you've had to work all your way through college and didn't get a penny from your parents, then be thankful for having to learn faith. 
If you've had parents that have been able to help you substantially, then you need to thank God for them and then realize what else does God want you to do with your time and be thankful and make it all kingdom uh, uh, purposeful. Third, believers must learn to distinguish wants from needs. That principle, if followed, would greatly increase the amount of money available for the Lord's work. Now, folks, if you, our people, we don't have very many people that you would consider in the higher income in this church. And yet our giving exceeds many churches that have far more wealthy people in them and are larger. I mean, we're averaging right now with our three different funds up near $40,000 a week. That means that there is a, at least about 40 to 50% of our people that are giving probably 20, 30, 40% of their income to Christ. And uh, why do you think there's faithfulness here? Why do you think there's a core here? It's because of that. They have put the Lord first. They are, they are very carefully looking at what their needs are versus their wants. I mean, I hate to say it, but our parking lot is not a who's who of the latest cars. I don't know if you've noticed that. No, there's nice cars, but it is just not. Boy, I've been to other places and whew, there's an Audi, there's a uh, whatever, you know, which is fine if a person's able to get it. I don't uh, ever judge that, but uh, I've been in some high level places and uh, our, some of our people that could really have some nice vehicles don't because they're investing in you. They're investing in you. You've got to understand, this church bears a heavy burden for this right here so that you can come. And these people are living for eternity, not for now. I tell you what, they're going to be heroes and they're not going to be pastors many times. They're going to be in front of the line at the judgment seat of Christ. There's some people in this church I know who they are. I know what kind of heart they have. And I know that God is going to greatly honor them for their faith. Fourthly, believers must discipline themselves to spend less than they make. The ease of buying things on credit has become a severe temptation. College kids today are just dying with this. You get credit cards freely. On the campuses today, it's an epidemic. And I would encourage you never buy anything on time that you cannot pay within a month. Never pay interest on anything. You make that a rule of thumb now, it will, it, will be a, it will allow you to give. It will allow you when God wants you to meet somebody else's need uh, to do it. Or God wants you to sacrifice and be, do something uh, maybe unique on ministry. You're able to do it. And uh, so I would encourage you do not, I mean, pray don't use the card. Now the card can be used uh, for mileage and all that kind of stuff, but it has to always be paid. I mean, that's just a rule of thumb. You pay it that month, period, case closed. I don't care what you have to do. You don't spend more than you make. And finally, believers need to give sacrificially to the Lord. Laying up treasure in heaven for the work of the kingdom should be the highest joy and the source of greatest reward. And I do want to encourage you while you're in college, you need to be wise, you need to save your money. And by the way, every penny that was wasted goes away from paying your bill and being able to give. You need to think about that. And I really want to encourage you, and I appreciate it, I think it was Ethan's testimony uh, on Monday, month by month he prayed it in. I tell you what, if that, that would save a lot of 
of you all from heartache if you could learn month by month. Do you think God's interested in helping you? That's a great place for you to really uh, see the Lord work. I do want to commend you, though. Uh, really, we have the highest percentage ever of young people working hard and paying their bills on time. And this has been, you've been a very good student body along that line. We have not had much to talk about in having to deal with that. So I, I want to commend you for that, and I would encourage you to keep on. And let me conclude here. Covetousness. Now, contentment brings what? Great gain spiritually. Covetousness, we're going to rhyme here, you can get the point, brings great pain. Well, shame's good, but pain, okay. Uh, so, my, you're so sharp, you already wrote my outline for me. Uh, but let's look at those words that I mentioned at the beginning of the message there. It results in sinful uh, entrapment, but they that will be rich. And it doesn't say if you're rich. God allows some people to have money and they use it for, for the work of the Lord unbelievably. I mean, much of what of the things, things that have happened here could not have happened, but people that had means gave. I mean, and, and we're unselfish with it. And I, you know, that's a, and that's a great blessing. But it's will be rich. I mean, that's your focus. You want to have that money. I'm telling you, you've got to be willing to give whatever God uh, calls on you to give. But that will be rich fall into a temptation and snare. Have you ever noticed that most sin takes money to, to do? <laughs> I mean, it really is the way it is. If you don't have very much money, you're in a lot better shape. Um, if you can't buy technology, you're, well, you can't have problems with technology. Uh, you know, of course, everybody needs it. I understand. Need it. But, um, and uh, there's so many other things. It takes money to sin. So, you know, do you think it might be that uh, you really get yourself budgeted to where you have a plan to save in which you don't have very much discretionary income? Think that might be a wise thing to do? I tell you, some of you are very disciplined that way. You will not spend the extra money on things that are unnecessary, and it's keeping you out of other problems, too. By the way, just indulgence is sin. You know, you don't need sometimes to eat something or have something, you know, and uh, so be very, very careful. I'm not trying to be austere here. I'm just talking about the right attitude toward money. Um, and so we don't need to have that as our desire. We've got to have the money so we can do what we want to do. That's where the temptation and traps come, come in. Uh, greedy people are continually entrapped by their consuming drive for more. And I've known so many laymen that have missed the blessing of God because they keep working double shifts and doing things because they've got to have the boat, they've got to have the, the cabin, they've got to have this, they've got to have that, and then their family's gone, their life is gone, and they have nothing. And then they're sick. You know, people that wait to, that do all this so when they retire, uh, a lot of times uh, can't even enjoy their retirement because they have so many issues in their life. It results in succumbing to, to sinful desires and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Um, and again, it's a, uh, uh, it is a big issue uh, to have. Listen, if you are wanting temporal things, then Satan can get you in any kind of area. 
And uh, so be very careful about that. And then uh, destruction and perdition. There are people in hell today just because of money and because Christians haven't told them how to be saved because they are living for money. There have been so many evangelicals in America. Back in the 90s, there, there was at least 25 to 30% of Americans who were truly born again. If every one of them were soul-winning, multiplying Christians, can you imagine where we'd be right now? Why not? Money and guilt. Uh, that's really what stopped us. Love of money is the root of all evil. It, is, uh, um, it uh, causes people to indulge themselves, show off, distort justice, take advantage of the poor, lie, cheat, steal, murder. It, it is not the root of all evil, but it is a root in which uh, a lot of things happen. And uh, then the thing I want to leave you with, it, it uh, causes you to err from the faith. If you can't believe God for your life, then are you going to believe God in the big things about what's really important? That's why this matter of walking by faith is so important. And then, as I said, it will bring many sorrows. It will bring great pain. So much more could be said here, young people, but I just felt uh, compelled this morning to talk about this. What are you going to live for this summer? What do you really want? If I was to ask you, every one of you, to stand up right now and tell me what you really want, but I would not allow you to say what you knew we wanted to hear. But if you had to be, for whatever great threat I could give, you know, uh, you had to be honest, what would you say? <coughs> what do you really want? What do you really, really want? That's what you're going to be this summer until that gets fixed, if it's wrong. And, um, and so for you all, you're not going to be going out trying to build this big fortune. I understand that. But you may have a little more money. How are you going to manage your money? How are you going to live? What are you going to live for? Uh, what is really going to be important to you? Are you going to be content with a walk with God and really serving him? Are you going to get caught up like the rest of the world? And uh, folks, this summer, with this size group, how many people do you think the Lord wants this group to win to Christ in the next three months? Would 200 be too much? That's two per person plus or less. 300, that would be one per month. You think the Lord might want you to see several saved a month? That would be, let's say, uh, you know, uh, uh, 1,200. Wouldn't it be something if we came back and that's what we talked about? Man, this group affected hundreds. Or else are we going to get the money we need, do the things we want to do, go out and do token soul winning, keep out of trouble? Or are we going to see God do miracles? And that's why I'm trying to get to the heart of this. Young people, I've got, I have a real sense that God's going to do some special things in your lives. 
and I really want you to, to take that seriously. And let's ask God to get down to the core of what do we really want and who are we really? And are we ready for the summer by having a desire to really walk with him? And I tell you, our hearts are deceitful. You've got to be very definite in dealing with your heart.